We are going to begin a brand new series today, and it's titled Unstoppable, Unstoppable. And we're going to work our way through the book of Acts. Now, we're not putting a time limit on it. We're going to take it a bit at a time. We're just going to work, we're going to journey this together. I'm excited about this incredible series. And let me say, I I didn't say this first service, but I, I really meant to. Can I challenge you to read the book of Acts? Maybe you haven't read it in a while. Or maybe it's just kind of in your regular course of kind of, if you're doing like a, a one year through the Bible, or through the year in a Bible, through, through the Bible in a year, how about that? <laughs> through the Bible in a year, you'll get snippets of the book of Acts during the course of that reading. But I'm going to challenge some of you, sit down and read it cover, uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 28, and you go, what? That's a lot. It really isn't. It'll take you about 45 minutes and you'll have it. And sometimes what happens is when you read it in one sitting, you really catch the big picture and the story of it. And if that's just not possible, read a half a dozen verses, 10 verses a day. We're going to be in this series for a while. We're just going to take our time with it because there are so many powerful truths that we're believing God is by his spirit is going to speak into your life through the study of the book of Acts. Well, titled Unstoppable. If you're a late night television show fan, which I'm not really, uh, I probably used to be more when some of the other individuals were there. Uh, maybe that speaks to my generation and my age. That's fine, whatever. But when David Letterman did the late show for CBS, he was very, he was very much known for doing his top 10 lists. And I would, at times, rarely would stay up and just to listen to the top 10 list and go to bed. Or I would get up the next morning and find his top 10 list so I could laugh a little bit or be completely disgusted and throw it away or go, good night, that's so corny, I can't even deal with it. But some of those top 10 lists were absolutely hilarious. So I have come up with my own top 10 list this morning for unstoppable things. All right, here we go. Number, number 10, number 10, asparagus fern. And you go, what's an asparagus fern? I don't know if that's the botanist name for this plant, but I want to tell you something. I have rounded it up. I have dug it up. I have pulled it up. I have been cut by those dumb things. And I want to tell you something. Nothing kills asparagus fern. And if there is ever a nuclear holocaust, I'm getting underneath the asparagus fern plant because I am going to survive it. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Number nine, the smell of tuna. Now... (laughs) Here's the deal. I love tuna. I would eat a tuna sandwich. I literally, I think I ate a tuna sandwich every day in high school. I mean, literally. I, I loved it. I loved it. So now I try to make tuna. Marcy says, take it outside. You open that can outside. You're doing it out there. And I'm thinking, man, this is just not fair. I love it. And I have to go outside to open up a tuna can. Well, I do it because I love it so much. I'm going to do it. The smell of tuna. You just can't get rid of it. It's unstoppable. Number eight, the Kardashians. I'm done. I'm done. Done. Number seven, email. Email. You say, no, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute, Gary. I, I don't get email because I have to do a lot of email when I work. And so I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the email that you try to unscri- unsubscribe to. It never stops. How many times do you have to unsubscribe to a particular email to finally it is out of your system? I'm not sure there is a number. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Number six, certain TV commercials. Now, here's here's the thing. Some of those 
kind of TV commercials that become iconic over the years. I'm not talking about those. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about, here's one for example. The flex seal guy. Can he just go away? Yeah, I get it. Flex seal. You can build a boat. Fine. Whatever. You can repair your gutters when it's raining like crazy. Fine. I get it. But I've had enough of the flex seal guy. Done. I'm finished. It's unstoppable. Number five. You're all going to agree with this one. Aging. It's unstoppable. And if there was really something I wish I could stop, that might be one of them. If I could just reverse it, like even five weeks, I'd be good. Because I wouldn't have a shoulder issue to deal with. And I look like a pterodactyl doing all this stuff. I can't get this arm to work, you know. Yeah, aging, aging. It just is unstoppable. Number four. Number four. The real estate market. Unstoppable. You tell me my house is worth what? And you go, wait a minute. I know what my house is. And it ain't worth that. But it's, just, it's, not the, it's not the house, it's the dirt. It's the dirt underneath it. It's just the way it is. It's unstoppable, apparently. Here's another great one, number three. Taxes. Taxes are unstoppable. And let me just tell you something. If a politician ever tells you it's temporary, sure it is. I have never, I just have never seen that happen. For example, we were living in the Bay Area in 1989 during the Loma Prieta earthquake. And, you know, if you recall, part of the Bay Bridge collapsed during that, during that earthquake. I mean, if, you, if you're too young to remember that, go on Google and you know, YouTube and find it. It's there. Anyway, when that happened, all of the traffic on the peninsula, the peninsula is the side of the, it's the base, it's the, it's the airport side in San Francisco Bay Area. Okay? It's called the peninsula. The San Francisco Bay runs down the middle of it. So the peninsula was isolated. So you only had three ways to get on the other side. You had to use the Dumbarton Bridge, the San Mateo Bridge, or take the Golden Gate Bridge across up through North County and then come across the San Rafael Bridge to get to the East Bay. It was a disaster because the Bay Bridge is so, it was used so much. So here's what they proposed. You ready? We're going to increase the bridge tolls $1 temporarily to pay for the repairs. The bridge tolls have continued to rise since 1989. Not one time has there ever been temporary taxes. They're unstoppable. They never end. Number two, award shows. Enough said. Done. And then number one, number one, I like this one the best. A dog's love and loyalty. It's unstoppable. And it's the, it's the uh, dog owner's prayer. Ready? Lord, please let me be the person my dog thinks I am. Right? They're unstoppable. Now, the series of messages is not going to have anything to do with any of that. But it just kind of gives you an idea that there are certain things, whether tongue-in-cheek or not, that we really do consider to be unstoppable. One of them is based upon something Jesus said, and that's what we're going to talk about. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 is our verse for this series. I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Amen and amen. I love the way that Eugene Peterson phrases it in the message. He says this, expansive with energy. I love that phrase, expansive with energy. It's never going to stop. It's ever expanding. It's ever growing. Listen to this phrase. The church is unrelenting. There's nothing that will overcome it. There's nothing that will stop its advance. It's unrelenting. 
unstoppable. Hallelujah. And I'm grateful to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, one that is unstoppable. And you are as well. As we begin the series, I want to give you four questions that will just kind of give you a little bit of background on this book, the book of Acts. That's what we're going to study. The first one is, who wrote the book of Acts? Who wrote it? Well, we learn in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll come to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 in a few minutes. I'm going to unpack that with some three applications for today on the Unstoppable Church. But in Acts chapter 1, we learn that the writer of the book of Acts wrote it to a man by the name of Theophilus. That word or name Theophilus means beloved of God or friend of God. Some, con some consider that he was really not an individual, but there was more of a holistic or a general uh, introduction. I don't think so. I think he was an, a, a real person, a real individual. And the reason for that is where we discover who wrote the book of Acts. So you go back to the book of Luke chapter 1 and verse number 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I, do, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So who wrote the book of Acts? It was Luke. In fact, what we discover is you do a little bit more study, there's probably a connection between those books. It's really like one book in two volumes or one book in two chapters. Luke, Acts, they go together that closely. Well, what we also learned about who wrote it, Luke, he was a physician. So he was a highly educated individual. He had a great mastery of classical Greek. He was very, very specific in understanding geographical locations. He was familiar with seafaring. In other words, when you read in chapter 27 and 28 of when Paul is in this incredible storm, this storm story, you see the understanding of how the sailors were operating. Luke had an incredible grasp on that. He was well-spoken, he was well-educated, and he was a dear friend of the Apostle Paul with whom he traveled. So that's who wrote the book. Well, when was it written? It was written probably in the early 60s. And why is that significant? Because about 64, 65, 66, something like that, Peter and Paul both were martyred by the Roman emperor Nero. So this was written prior to their death. So some of this, some of the things I'm sure Luke would have collaborated with Paul, he would have spoken with Peter about some of these. So these are all very, very well-documented incidents in the life of the early church. Who are the major personalities in the book? Well, we find Peter becomes the leader of the 11 apostles, and then he's very prominent in Acts until chapter 12. Stephen, we read about Stephen in chapter 6 and 7, where he becomes a leader in the church, but then he is the first martyr for the faith of Christ. Paul, uh, who was originally Saul, was converted in chapter 9 of the book of Acts and then takes prominence through the remainder of the book. James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church in the early church. And then James, the brother of John, so you remember those guys, Peter, James, and John? Well, John and James were brothers. James becomes the first one killed by Herod. He's killed by a sword. And the result of that, he, Peter is thrown into jail because it pleased those around so wonderfully. Barnabas joins Paul in his missionary work. And then there's other names, Timothy and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Those are individuals that will show up in some of the letters that Paul will write later after the book of Acts concludes. And then you find people like some bad guys like Herod and Festus and Felix. So there are a lot of personalities that we will all, that we'll talk about over the course of these next number of weeks. 
Then the major themes of the book, that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, to give you a little bit of an overview. Now, my hope is that you won't walk away and go, sweet, I got an overview of the whole book, so I don't have to ever come back. I'm good. I got this. I'll come back when you're done with Acts. No, you can't. You got to be back next week. That was lame. You got to be back next week. You know why? It's Mother's Day. Every one of you need to be in church to please your mother. Okay? <laughs> All right. You were, that was for free this morning. So the major, the major themes. The first one is this. The power and authority or the power and the priority of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that you see very, very clearly throughout the book of Acts is the power and the priority of the Holy Spirit. And I am excited about that, that dynamic how it's going to live itself, or, or how it's going to flesh itself out in the life of our church over the next number of months. I'm absolutely believing, friends, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our congregation, unlike anything that we have ever experienced. Can you believe that with me? Because as we, are, as we prioritize the Holy Spirit in our midst, God's going to do something amazing in you individually, and in us as a church, and in us as a community. Let's believe for that. The key verse of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the theme verse. And you see that verse lived out throughout the entire book of Acts. And I would just ask this question of all of us this morning. Because something happened to those in the book of Acts they began to live in the fullness of the Spirit. I'm wondering this morning, are you and I living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? In other words, everything that the Spirit of God has for us, are we living that way? Are we allowing the life of the Spirit to, to, to flow through our lives in a way that just transform us and transform everyone else around us? I hope so, because we can. You see, when you and I came to faith, something happened. The Spirit of God took up residence in our life. He's here. He's here. And he wants the life of the Spirit to just flourish and thrive within your life. And I want to live that way, and I want us to live that way, because I believe it's the only way to live. The second major theme is radical community life. And I say radical for a reason, because it was. We'll read about this uh, throughout, we'll study it very closely when we get to chapter 2, verses 47, four, excuse me, 42 to 47. We talk about life groups, but community life, the church, the community. I love that. I just love the thought. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, just to give you a little snip. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There's the word community, the root word of community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is radical stuff, but that's how they lived. They wanted to make sure that all the needs were met within that community. You see, I am so grateful that we have a church that believes that. Yesterday was an example of that. When you have 70 plus volunteers who are gathering together to build beds on a hot Saturday in May, I want to tell you something that is significant. When you have a group of people that are handing out food week after week after week to those who have need, I am grateful to be a part of a community that believes in the community and lives it out radically. It's powerful and is an incredible testimony to the community around us. I'm telling you, it's powerful. I'm grateful for that. In fact, last week I mentioned very quickly just one small phrase from Jonas Dickerson's book, 
hope of nations where he says this, as the people of God, we will be known for doing good. Can I get an amen? We will be known for doing good. Serving the least of these and loving our neighbors. Let it be said of us that we at Crossroads Church embrace a radical community life as the followers of Jesus Christ. Let it be said of us. The third theme is the importance of evangelism. The importance of evangelism. Acts chapter 3 verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Over the last five, over the last four years, few years, excuse me, there's two words that I've used on many, I've used it on occasion. <clears throat> it's these words, invest and invite. And that simply means this, let's invest in those who don't know Christ. Let's invest in those who we work alongside. Let's invest in our family and then invite them into a place where they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That was, that's what Easter's about. That's what VBS is about. That's what a special series is about. That's what every Sunday is about. To come into an environment where the gospel can be preached and understood. We can laugh a little bit. We can worship together. But the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in this place will make an impact in a person's life so that they come to faith in Christ. But evangelism goes beyond that. It goes outside these four walls. And I've got to do better in myself to be more, more in keeping with what I believe the book of Acts teaches. And what do I mean by evangelism? Just simply sharing the good news with those who have not yet heard. It's that simple. You can do that through your life. You can do that through your words. You can do that through your influence, your investment in people, and your invitation as well. Major themes. An unstoppable church. Hear this. An unstoppable church and an unstoppable life are ones that embrace the importance of evangelism. You want to have an unstoppable life? Give your life away. Give your life away. Quit holding, your, quit holding it so closely to the vest. Give your life away. And I'm telling you, your life will be unstoppable. You will wake up with more energy and passion than you've ever had when you give your life away. The next major theme is a passionate dedication to prayer. Listen to, listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Interestingly enough, the first 14 of the 15 chapters in the book of Acts give prominence to prayer. Prayer is everywhere. And you will find it throughout all of the book, but especially it's mentioned in 14 of the first 15. Prayer is there. It's a central part of this message of the book of Acts. I love Oswald Chambers, and I love this quote. This quote is so good. Listen to what he said. He said, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be the first line of defense. One more time. Isn't that good? And it gets better because that's just part of it. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be the first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do. That's what we pray. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. And that is absolutely true. The first thing, when, when life comes at you, when you get up in the morning, when you lay your head down at night, before anything else is done, commit it to God in prayer. Be, as, be passionate in your dedication to prayer. The key to an unstoppable life 
is a passionate dedication to prayer. The next major theme is breaking racial barriers. Breaking racial barriers. And I want to tell you, this happened significantly in the book of Acts. And, and honestly, all of us, all of us have been faced with, uh, uh, we're dealing with racist attitudes all across our country. In fact, we've heard a phrase like systemic racism. And there remains a great divide within our country. But hear me, and hear me carefully. There is no place for racist attitudes, words, or actions in the church of Jesus Christ. No place. It does not belong here. It has no place in our, in our, in our language, in our thoughts, in our attitudes. No place. And we learn that in the book of Acts. It happened 21 centuries ago. We shouldn't be so late to the party. Amen? Yeah. And we need to deal with it in our own lives. If it's there, I'm just going to say it. It's sin. And it needs to be dealt with before this day comes to a close. Interesting. I love... I love this uh, little story I want to tell you. Right around the first, of the first of the 20th century, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred throughout the country. Uh, places like Topeka, Kansas, in the center of the country. And then a little place in Los Angeles called Azusa Street, the Azusa Street Mission. And I'm telling you, this move of God rocked the world. Okay, it didn't, it didn't just do significant things within Southern California and the Midwest. It rocked the world. But what is so significant is it was led by a man by the name of William J. Seymour. And I want to show you a picture of William J. Seymour. You say, well, okay, what's the big deal? <laughs> In 1909, this was a big deal. That an African-American man would be leading this group of people. Look at this group. As just some. You notice the diversity in that group? Both from a racial perspective and a gender perspective. And to have an African-American pastor leading this group of individuals, and this place exploded, was radical. The amount of abuse that Pastor Seymour took is beyond comprehension. But he pressed on. He pressed on. And in the review of that move of God at the turn of the century, a historian by the name of Frank Bartleman made this quote. Listen to this. At the Azusa Street Mission, the color line was washed away in the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly how we, as the people of God today, are to live. I want to tell you something. The color line washes away because of the blood. And everything Everything that is contrary to God and to righteousness, the blood of Jesus not just covers, but washes it away once and for all. That's how we are to live. We're to live that way. Again, there's no place for racist attitudes, words, or actions in the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter said, chapter 10 of the book of Acts. Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now, I'll tell you, the significant you're going to see it throughout the book of Acts, breaking racial barriers. The next is a dedication to missions. Dedication to missions. Acts chapter 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
And I'm telling you, these guys, <laughs> talk about some radical missions. It was, it's all, they traveled all over the Roman world, speaking, teaching, winning people to Christ, building churches, appointing leaders. It was just amazing. Three different missionary journeys that Paul took in the book of Acts. You'll see them. The different places he went and the people he connected to and the messages he shared. I just think of the, the message he shared in, in Athens, Greece, on Mars Hill. It was just masterful teach. I'm saying, we're going to talk about all this. It's just incredible, their dedication to missions. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that continues that tradition of being missionary-minded. And we need to continue to be missionary-minded. In fact, we need to amp it up more than we have ever amped it up before. And in this week, I will be sending out $7,600 to various missionaries on your behalf to just say, go get them in the name of Jesus. We need to do that more and more and more. Why? Because the first church, been doing it for 21 centuries, we need to continue that tradition, but more than that, listen to this. What happened, the spread of the gospel was epic. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, there's a doctor, Dr. Adam Shore. He is a professor at the University of South Carolina. So he's, this is not a, you know, this is not a seminary, it's not a, you know, Bible school, it's a university, University of South Carolina. But he's done a study of the history of Christianity. Here's what he discovered. You ready for this? That approximately, on the day of Pentecost, about 120 believers were together, okay? After the day of Pentecost, that number went from 120 to 3,000. Then you begin to chart the progress of the church throughout the book of Acts. Went to 5,000 and then almost innumerable people and then literally spreading all over the world. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 6. In the King James Version, it says that those, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The idea is that something radical is happening. Within 30 years, within 300 years, excuse me, within 300 years. Now you say, that's a long time. Not really. 300 years with the modes of transportation that were available in the first century, second and third and fourth century. Think about this. In 300 years, the population of Christianity went from 120 to 15.8 million. It transformed the Roman Empire to where the Roman Empire embraced Christianity as the official religion. I'm not here to talk about the merits or not of that. I'm just simply saying Christianity radically altered this world forever. And now, 21 centuries later, there are 2.38 billion people who call the name of Jesus as their Savior. Epic. Why? Because they were dedicated to missions. And I believe it can happen again. As churches just like ours embrace a dedication to missions. And then also another major theme is understanding the place of suffering. Now that's a challenge just in and of itself. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you have ever been, now not probably everybody in the room, okay? How many of you have ever been offered a job? You've just been offered, that job offer's gone out. Anybody in the, only three people have work and have ever worked in the room. It's amazing. You guys are incredible. All of us have had a job offer, haven't we? And usually the offer comes out and said, here it is. You know, this is what you're going to do. And in we go, sweet, I'll take it. You know, we're good. Here's Paul's job offer. Okay. Paul comes to Christ. This amazing thing happens on the Damascus road. And then this, this guy by the name of Ananias is going to have to go and pray for Paul and kind of help him understand the call. He says, Ananias, this is what God said to Ananias. Ananias, I want you to go to Paul and tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Uh, Lord, is any negotiation on this job offer here? Do we have to go down the suffering thing? No, that's what 
there's, the, there's a place for suffering, and it's all, all through the book of Acts. And it's, it's really important to understand how powerful it is. There is a place for suffering. Acts chapter 20, and now compelled by the Spirit, this is Paul saying, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, as we study the book of Acts, we witness the opposition of the gospel that starts on the day of Pentecost. These guys are drunk. These guys are drunk. And then it turns very quickly from an accusation of drunkenness that gravitates to the beating of Peter and John. It escalates to the stoning of, Peter, uh, to, of Stephen it continues with Saul imprisoning as many Christians as possible, James dying by the sword of Herod, Paul and Silas in jail, and then finally Paul imprisoned in Rome. Second Timothy chapter 3, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a reality, but Acts helps us understand the why behind the what. So we'll learn that together. Well, as we bring our time to a close, I want to give you three thoughts this morning from the first three verses of the book of Acts. So look at it with me. Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for what we have already learned and kind of gleaned a bit from the book of Acts, but now help these simple applications drill deep into our hearts and make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. The number one, number, thought, number one thought is this. What Jesus began to do, he is still doing, and it makes the church unstoppable. Now, let me, let me just, I want to unpack that for just a second. I think sometimes we think about the church as being this building that we're sitting in, right? I'm going to go to church. Okay, it, it is that. But I want you to know something. The church is more than that. The church is you. Do, do, do we get that? The church is you. I'm absolutely convinced if we would understand, if we would let this truth get deep into our hearts, it would change the way we live. You see, Luke says it very clearly. What Jesus began to do and teach, it, it tells me the, the assumption is, is that what he's going to say in the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do. And I will tell you, not only did Jesus continue to do everything that he did in the book of Acts, he continues to do it today, right among us, right at this very moment. Nothing's changed. Everything, Jesus still saves. Jesus still heals. He still restores. He still delivers. And because Jesus is still, the church and its message are unstoppable. And that includes you. I need to understand and let that get deep into my heart that what Jesus did, he is still doing and desires to do in your life. Why? Because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit resident in you and in us as a people. He wants to do the same today in you and for your family and your neighbors around you. I'm grateful for that. As Pentecostal people, friends, we read, we read this book in the present tense, not as a historical document, but what is here, God is still doing among us by the power and presence of the Spirit of God. 
And it is so important that I understand that I need that for my family. You need that for your children. You need that for your husband. You need that for your wife. You need that for those you work alongside. Why? Because they need to know that Jesus Christ does what he, he, what he did, he is still doing in your life and can do in theirs if they will allow him to. That's the message. It's the message of the book of Acts. I love this. What did Jesus come to do? Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, and he is still seeking, and he is still saving the lost, as is evidenced by everyone in this room who knows Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The second thought this morning is that the resurrection is an absolute certainty, and it makes the church unstoppable. And I'm going to say it again, and it makes you unstoppable. In your life, in your future, with the message you share, with the hope that you have, it's the resurrection. You see, we celebrate the resurrection every Easter. We should celebrate it every day, every, certainly every Sunday, but every day. You see, what happens, what, what Luke did, he said this, he gave, very, he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. That was Jesus. In the 50-day period from the time that Jesus was resurrected till the time that he ascended in Acts chapter 1 is a 50-day period of time. During that time, he showed himself to others and he convinced by his very presence and life that he was alive. And again, if we take this in the present, intense we know that because Jesus was he came to life he is still living today listen to this in Acts chapter 2 verse 24 verse 32 chapter 3 verse 26 chapter 4 verse 11 chapter 5 verse 30 chapter 10 verse 40 chapter 13 verse 30 33 and 35 chapter 17 verse 33 excuse me 3 and verse 31 and verse 32 chapter 23 Verse 6, chapter 24, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 19, chapter 26, verse 8 and 23. In every one of those passages of Scripture, there is one message and one message alone. Jesus is alive. It was again and again and again proclaimed by eyewitnesses to his life. So when we are reading the book of Acts, we are reading an eyewitness account that Jesus is alive and he is making a difference in the world and the same is true today. Jesus is alive and he has made a difference in you and he can make a difference in your world. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I could use a little difference in my world. It's because of the living Savior that it's true. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what Paul would say. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Therefore, everything, everything regarding our faith rises and falls upon the truth of the resurrection. Everything. That's your message. That's my message. And you see, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who has given you life, or it is, he has given life to your mortal bodies. He's the one who's done that because he is alive. We live and have hope for today and for eternity. And finally, the participation in and the proclamation of the kingdom of God makes the church unstoppable. Now, this might be a point that we might just miss or overlook or not think much about. 
But the kingdom of God's a big thing. It's a big thing for us. You say, well, Gary, what, what exactly do you mean when you talk about the kingdom of God? Luke references it here that Jesus talked about the kingdom. What does it all mean? Well, the kingdom of God carries with it this idea that God is asserting his power within our day. That God is at work presently and personally against the schemes of the enemy of our souls and prevailing culture. God is at work. It's more than salvation or the church. It is God expressing himself powerfully in all his works. In other words, God is shown up and God is doing big things. Jeremy Tree, he's a pastor here in Southern California, uh, a professor of a variety of things. He gave a, a great definition of the kingdom of God. Here it is. God's reign through God's people in, over God's place. That's what it is. God's rulership, God's in charge, and one more time, through God's people over God's place. That's the kingdom of God. Now, let me give you an illustration from Scripture to help you kind of understand why this is so important to this unstoppable nature of the church. There was a story in the book of Daniel from Nebuchadnezzar, about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar and had a dream. You might remember the dream. He had this, this incredible dream of a, of a huge statue. The statue had a gold head, had silver shoulder and chest, and had bronze midsection, and had legs of iron, and then feet that were made of iron and clay. So that was the dream he had. So Nebuchadnezzar got together, got all of his wise men together, and said, hey guys, listen, I had a dream. Would you interpret the dream for me? They said, absolutely, king, no problem. He says, okay, good. I want you to tell me the dream, and then tell me what it means. He goes, nobody can do that king. Uh, just tell us a dream. We'll do it. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me the dream. Said, king, nobody can do that. He says, listen, I know the way you guys operate. If I tell you the dream, you're just going to tell me whatever comes to your mind. That ain't going to work. Tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. We can't do it. He says, all right, kill them all. That was, <laughs> that was the order. All of the wise men in, in Babylon, they're done. So one of Nebuchadnezzar's chief dudes, he goes to get Daniel and Daniel's three friends, remember those guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember them. Go find those guys, kill them too. Well, he comes to Daniel, and Daniel said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What's going on? Well, this is what happened. Daniel says, just give me a little bit of time. We'll get the interpretation. We got this. We got this. He says, all right, I'll give you some time. So he goes, to, he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, here it is, king. And the king says, oh, so you can do this. He said, no, 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 I can't do this. But there's a God in heaven who can. <laughs> That's, that's one of those phrases that gives me chills every time I read it. Well, listen to this, though. Here's what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 2, verse 44, Daniel. While you were watching, okay, now he's, Nebuchadnezzar, he's seen this thing. While you were watching, a rock was cut, cut out, but not by human hands. It, was, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all were broken to pieces, became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, I want you to just think about this for a moment. Let me tell you a little bit about that statue for just a second. Okay? The head was Babylon. Gone. The next were the Medes and the Persians, silver, gone. Bronze, Greece, 
gone. Next, Roman Empire, gone. And then the separate of iron and clay was the, the, the kind of the separated or the, uh, the diluted Roman Empire, gone. What remains? The church of Jesus Christ. You see, that rock God created is exactly what we're talking about, the kingdom of God. And this is where we read it, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the time of those kings, there we go, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Now, you all should start getting like your amens on here. Get ready. You ready? You prompted? All right. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Participation in the proclamation of the kingdom of God will it makes the church unstoppable and it makes you unstoppable because you and I are a part of the kingdom of God that he has created that nothing will ever destroy. I want you to know when Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will take care of itself. We are to be kingdom people. It's unstoppable. I want to be a part of that. I know you do as well. As we bring this time to a close, great preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, said this. He says, if it was possible, if it had been possible to destroy the church of God on earth, it would have been destroyed a long time ago. And the assumption behind that quote is, it's not possible. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your unstoppable church. And Lord, let us be unstoppable people because of the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in us. Lord, forgive us in our lives where we have embraced racist attitudes. Forgive us. God, I ask as well that where we have diminished evangelism and missions in our life, forgive us. Lord, I pray that we would be all about radical community life. Uh, Lord, we would understand that suffering is going to be a part of this journey of faith. We embrace it gladly. So Lord, we are a part of the unstoppable kingdom of God. And Lord, let us embrace it. Let us relish it. Let us enjoy it. But through it all, Lord, let, us, let it refine us to be the people that you desire that we would be. Bringing the influence that you've called us to provide to a world that so desperately needs you. We thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. We pray you'll bless in these moments together as we come around your table. In Jesus' name, amen.